0: Music Laws fighting for justice radio. Don't
1: Just underestimate the other
0: guys. Reed. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. It's 30
1: minutes away. I'll be there in 10. They see
0: me rolling.
2: They hate that. Patrolling and trying to get me right
0: there. Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities, experts, business people, and so much more. Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice. Straight talk? No nonsense. I'm going to make them an
3: offer again with
0: you. Now it's time for Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed.
4: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening. We're really glad to have you with us. We have a fantastic show for you today. And remember to check out our website at kuziklaw.com, that's K-U-Z-Y-K-L-A-W.com, and let your friends know about the show. People can listen to our podcast on iTunes at www.blogtalkradio.com slash kuziklaw. On Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Reed Brightman. Robert Ryan and Mark Leonardo, we analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and cover legal current events. Today we have four very interesting stories of the week, and after that, if we have time, we'll do Reed's rant and wrap things up from there. Again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice. Now, the first story of the week, Mark is handling. This is a very interesting story about airbags being replaced uh, and southern drivers in humid areas being most at risk. I, Mark, I was really surprised to find out that only 18% of the 42 million vehicles that were recalled for dangerous airbags have been replaced.
1: Yeah, I know it's a real problem. Reed, um, vehicles made by 19 different automakers have been recalled to replace frontal airbags on the driver's side and the passenger side, and uh, or both. And uh, this is what the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. But the, and otherwise known as the NHTSA, has called the largest and most complex safety recall in U.S. history. Now, these airbags were made by a major part supplier by a company called Takata, and they were installed in cars from model year 2002 up through 2015. And some of those airbags could deploy explosively, injuring or even killing car occupants. And uh, an explosion could even send shrapnel into the occupant. So at the heart of, the, of this problem is the airbag's inflator, and there's a metal cartridge loaded with propellant wafers, which in some cases uh, has been ignited with explosive force. Now, mm-hmm. If the inflator housing ruptures in a crash, metal shards from the airbag can be, can be sprayed throughout the passenger cabin and potentially you know, a disastrous outcome from a supposedly life-saving device
2: my God, so far, hey, Mark, uh, has anybody ever been injured by any of these things yet?
1: Oh, there's been about 180 people that have been injured, and 11 have been killed in the United States alone and then 16 worldwide. The most recent was this past October. And it, it, it could be really horrific. I mean, dying is obviously horrific, but these metal shards are penetrating drivers' faces and their necks. So it, it's pretty scary. But as awful as this may be, it is somewhat rare. Um, in June of last year, Takata stated that they were, they were aware of about 88 ruptures in total. And, um, and this is out of what they've calculated to be about 1.2 million airbags being deployed over the past 15 years. Now, and this just happens figures, not, in an
4: arc, not in an accident, right? It just it happens spontaneously?
1: No. It, no but only It only happens during an accident.
4: Oh, okay. Uh, yes, so it's, so not, generally, like it's they're, they're deploying... not a danger. Yeah, that, okay.
1: Yeah. I mean – so far, you know, they've they've calculated that frontal airbags have saved about 37,000 lives, and, and they point out that it's only a risk to drivers or passengers if the airbag is deployed by an accident. They won't go off on their own.
4: Oh, that's um, good.
1: But the problem and, is but they, don't, they don't have to enough do parts.
2: What causes them to do this?
1: Um, well, they, they're saying that, um, as Reid mentioned at the very outset, humidity and uh Things like that are, are causing this little inflator to, to break down, and sometimes it'll just explode upon impact.
4: Ah. Okay, so it's not that the airbag deploys when it shouldn't. It's that when the airbag properly deploys, it takes this little piece of metal or something and, and, and flings it at, at the driver or the passenger.
1: But it, it explodes. It's, right. It, you know, it's, it's metal. It explodes, and they, they're calling it shrapnel. Well, so, right. Right. So anyway, so, I mean that could take out they're, people's they're eyes and
4: def- disfigure them and stuff. People have to get these things replaced, and it's free, right? It doesn't cost the car owner anything.
1: It doesn't cost the car owner anything. And uh, as you mentioned, they've only done about 12.5 million, and they're trying to get between 64 to 69 million of these airbags replaced. They have a long way to go. And do the they have that many that airbags? The are,
2: do they have that many airbags on hand? Yeah, they're, run, hand they're running out. Do it, the replacement? It, they replacement? They
1: don't. No, they don't have them on hand. That's the problem.
4: Mm. So they're mm. trying
1: to figure out a plan to step up the the uh, getting these replaced, and it's just taking a long time. But trying to get it all done at the end of 2020. So, you know, here we are at the end wow. of 2016. We have four so, more years to
2: go. So the problem isn't so much that people aren't getting it done; it's that there's not enough airbags to go around to replace them with.
1: Well, it's it's kind of both. Uh, even, mm. um, I have a friend that I mentioned this to them last night. I said, Hey, would you have an, an Acura and Honda are the number two, you know the top two vehicles where this has a, a been a problem. And, and my friend, they have an Acura. I said, hey, have you gotten a recall notice? And she said, no. I said, well, you need to go online with uh, NHTSA, their website, and there's a little link you can click on and enter your vehicle identification number that will tell you if your car needs to have um, a replacement.
4: It's part of the Very recall. interesting. So, well, great. well, let's hope to, they get that. That handled and, and they speed up the efforts I mean i, I the manufacturers are going to have to speed up their production of replacements uh, let's move on to robert 's story. This is that terrible disaster in Oakland where there was a big fire. Um, robert, tell us about the civil and criminal cases that might you know that might come out of this and how they would play out
2: Well, this is a terrible thing we've all been following this gruesome news out of Oakland where that uh, warehouse. Uh, called the Ghost Ship in uh, Oakland, uh, went up in flames during some sort of musical event. Um, uh, ago. it was weeks a private ago.
4: dance, like one of those underground dance parties?
2: Well, actually, it was that's an interesting point. Everybody, you say private, but it was sponsored by some LA record companies and an apparel company. And I'll talk a moment mm-hmm. about what their liability might be. Um, but it was it was kind of an artist colony, kind of combined with a drug den combined with a party house combined with kind of a flop house um, it wasn 't zoned residential and it wasn 't permitted for residential use um, went up in flames thirty six people lost their lives, many other people uh, suffered serious injuries from burns and smoke inhalation and we 're thinking now about well what kind of liability is going to arise here. I mean, obviously, the families, uh, the loved ones of the people who perish will be filing wrongful death lawsuits seeking uh, damages in civil court. And the mm-hmm. obvious targets for that are going to be the, the owner of the property, uh, who's already said that she had no idea that people were living there. Uh, apparently, it was leased out uh, for somebody who has an art, artist cooperative, where artists were supposed to go and just do work but not actually live. Um, that person, in turn, uh, sl- sublet it. To other tenants who apparently were living there. All of those people have uh, potential liability. Um, other li- potential sources of a recovery in civil lawsuits, of course, would be any contractors who have done any work on the building. Um, lawyers right now in Oakland are busy pulling permits for any work that had ever been done on the building that was known to the city of Oakland because. In Oakland, as in many municipalities, you're required to bring the building up to code anytime you do any work on it. Um, those those contractors would be potential uh, uh, targets. Uh, even though this was an underground dance party, they were, it was on behalf of an LA uh, record label and a and a clothing company. Um, I'm sure they're going to find themselves the targets of lawsuits uh, for wrongful death and other and other types of damages. Um, and then what city? the city what about the city. Well, yeah. good point. What about and the it, city then for, for not inspecting. Well, the city of Oakland itself, although, you know, that's a very tough one. There was, there was, a, there was a lawsuit about 20 years ago, actually in San Francisco, where um, a similar situation happened where people were living and, uh, and they, there was a fire and many people perished. But in that particular case, the city's housing department was the actual owner of the building.
4: Right, it's they had direct more liability.
2: Yeah, it's much po- much more difficult to try to make an allegation against the municipality for code violations because that sort of arises to, the, well, you didn't inspect, and you didn't enforce the code, and because you didn't enforce the code, these people live there, and because these people live there because you didn't enforce the code, they died, and now the municipality has, has liability. Well, the problem with that is there's governmental immunity right. that generally protects municipalities from... Negligence in the performance of like ministerial tasks such as code enforcement, so that looks like a tougher a tougher uh, uh, road to hoe, but because of the massive damages that all of these families will be asserting i 'm sure they 're going to leave no stone unturned now right. on the other hand, there is also criminal liability you know the prosecutors in Oakland have opened their own investigation, and the criminal uh, cases arising from this they 've said publicly could. Range from just misdemeanor code violations, which seem to be an easy, an easy uh, g- case to make, um, leading all the way up to possibly murder. Murder or manslaughter. Well, that's funny you should say that. They have said both. They have said voluntary manslaughter. They said involuntary manslaughter. But they have also said murder. As you know, there's a legal doctrine in California where if you act with such reckless disregard of the in the probable consequences of your conduct, and somebody dies as a result, you could actually be convicted of second-degree murder. And it's not entirely impossible that they could be trying to formulate such a case right now against some of the players who are more egregious. I'm thinking particularly of the, uh, the tenant right. of the owner who did the subleasing to all of the artists there. Uh. He has been featured pretty prominently um, in some articles in the local newspapers and on television here, kind of an eccentric character had his children taken away because the the circumstances of their of their living in this building were so were so dangerous uh, with the drug use and with uh, the kind of material that was lying around there, um, kind of a colorful character, uh, but apparently was collecting money from tenants to live there despite the fact that his lease didn't allow that and despite the fact that the municipal code specifically said that that place was not zoned for residential use. Right. So if they can prove a case against him that in the face of the knowledge of the dangerousness of this place, he still let it out to uh, tenants and that they died as a result, then it's not too far-fetched to think that some you know, clever prosecutor might try to make a murder case against him.
4: Wow. All right, well, you're listening to Kuziklaw's Fighting for Justice Radio, and we are going to move on to Mark's story. Uh, A driver that was uh, involved in a deadly crash, Uh, turns out he's been exonerated because the brakes were faulty. Mark, tell us about this story.
1: Yeah, Reed, uh, two families' lives were forever changed uh, August 29, 2012, in a horrible crash that took place out here in Hollywood, that left a 27-year-old mother, her 4-year-old daughter, and her 6-year-old daughter all dead. Hmm. A guy by the name of Solomon Mathenji, I'm saying his name right, um, he was 74 years old at the time of the accident, and he was, um, he's was he been living a nightmare ever since, according to him. But now, he says, his nightmare is over. Um, and this is because the vehicular manslaughter charges against him were dropped this past week. Mathenji um, says... You mean it's
4: been pending all this time? He never got convicted?
1: That's that's true. That's correct. Wow. Um, What what happened was he rammed his Infinity SUV into another minivan carrying the family when he was going the wrong way on a Hollywood street and he veered into oncoming traffic. The mom, she was driving her two kids to school when this happened.
2: Mm. And
1: all three of them, you know, they died that morning. Um, Mm. And he says, you know, I feel very bad about the family who lost their family in that accident, and there's nothing I can take back. now, it was a nightmare for him because he woke up in the hospital. He was in critical condition for several months, and then he got charged for manslaughter while he was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they said he was driving on a suspended license, and supposedly he was texting at the time of the accident, but I'm not so sure they're trying to make a case for that. Now, the deceased family's relatives, they filed a wrongful death lawsuit against him, and, but he's always maintained it wasn't his fault and he was putting the blame on the brakes on his Infinity SUV. He claimed that when he tried to depress the brakes, the, the brake pedal went all the way to the floor, and it, it, didn't, it wouldn't stop. So for the past four years, he's been trying to clear his name, and charges were finally dropped this past Monday. Now the DA, uh, George Costello, said that they couldn't prove their case against him, um, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And uh, so he's been, he was just made free to go <coughs> Excuse me, over the but, um he, Costello took over the case about a year ago and he saw that this infinity he was driving was part of a, a class action lawsuit that was known to have intermittent brake failure. And uh, so that in that case it was against Nissan and that case settled out of court, but that gave some credence to his story that the brakes had failed and um, caused
2: this whole accident. Well, that sounds very strange, you know. I see a few problems right, with that. I mean, first of all, the, 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 the occurrence of total brake failure, which is a pedal going all the way to the floor, is very, very unusual in any type of mechanical breakdown in a car. You know, that's, that's like a total, complete failure of the hydraulic system of the brakes. And my understanding that this was a fairly late model SUV. The other thing is, is that in a crash of this magnitude, one would expect to have been seen a very intensive accident uh, accident investigation by the police, and one aspect of that typically would have been for them to check the pressure on the brake pedal. Um, I've never seen an accident investigation report involving the death of any vehicle occupants that didn't involve a brake check, Um, typically involving removing the wheels and checking the brakes themselves visually, and also, you know, trying to press the brake pedal to see if there was any failure that would allow the pedal to go to the floor. So Robert, I, I don't know. I, I, it sounds it sounds it sounds fishy to me that now the prosecutor is dropping the case because he heard about some recall talking about intermittent brake failure, which certainly must have gone against what the police department said in their report, that would probably would have been generated you know within about a month or two after this accident occurring.
4: And that wouldn't it's, have anything to do with him texting while driving, and driving the wrong way that, on the road. That's true. Of that- that, that's weird. And that
1: seems to have gone by the wayside. I, I didn't see that anyplace else. But a couple of things. If you had seen pictures of these cars, which I have, I mean, these both vehicles were just annihilated. And so maybe they couldn't get to the, the pedal itself to see if it was, mm. it was working. It was a head on really, crash, Mark? Oh, more or less. More or less than a head on crash. More or less. Not, not directly, but uh, he hit the front, front left side.
2: So um, how is it the brakes there, fault that he's driving the wrong way on the street?
1: Yeah. Well, he was trying. To, supposedly, he was trying to stop, and then he was trying to veer off from where he, he was going to hit some other cars, and he veered off into the other lane and, and then hit this lady. Mm. So, but here's here's two interesting things. One, you mentioned a recall. There never was a nationwide recall from Nissan for this problem. They settled out of court, and uh, they didn't have to do the recall. So that's kind of interesting. And the other unique twist here is that the family that once wanted this guy to be put in jail for life has um, now dropped the, their case against him, and they 've joined forces and they 're both have an, their own joint civil lawsuit against Nissan Infiniti.
2: So. Well, the, the thing about the recall is interesting because if a safety regulator like the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, that was in your other story, um, I mean, if they if they had found evidence of something like this, they would never have agreed to settle a case without providing for a recall, especially with something as significant a
4: safety issue as total brake failure.
1: Right, right. I agree. It's that very, it's very strange. Very, it is.
4: It is suspect. something very strange going on with that story. All right, uh-huh. let's move on to the last story, Robert's story about um, Santa Clara County paying three point six million dollars to the family of a slain inmate. Tell us about oh. the story, Robert. Oh, this is a, this is a
2: terribly sad story. This relates to the thirty the death of thirty one year old Michael Tyree, who was found dead in his cell last year at the Santa County Santa Clara County Jail. Um, He suffered from mental illness, and he has sort of in and out of jail. He's one of these kind of frequent flyers with the local police department. Um, He was doing some time for petty theft and possession of drugs. And because of his illness, he was in a special part of the jail, which was reserved for those inmates in protective custody or those with special needs. Um, In the morning one time, he was... uh, one, uh, he was found dead in his cell, and an investigation revealed that only three guards were the only people who could possibly have had access to the cell during the night. And when they interviewed the other uh, inmates, they reported that they heard screaming from his cell that lasted several minutes. Um, mm-hmm. The coroner determined that he died from massive internal injuries, including a lacerated liver, a ruptured spleen, and, uh, and bleeding. Um, and in fact, those three guards have now been charged with murder right. and face like a trial he in January. Oh because the determination, yes, was that was that the guards beat him to death? Wow, sure sounds like it. Wow well it's very interesting because you know we've we've seen that we've had a couple of stories you know that our listeners are probably familiar with where we 've seen the intersection between law enforcement and mental illness, and it seldom works out well you know and you just wonder whether this is another situation where an inmate or a suspect with mental illness interacts with the police and doesn 't follow commands or doesn 't behave, behave in a normal fashion, and things escalate out of control. Violence occurs, and then we have somebody who's shot or who's beaten or has a dog stick on them or some horrible thing like that. The other aspect of this story that I find kind of topical is right now our retired shepherd. Lee Baca of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is on trial right now in U.S. District Court in Los Angeles before Judge Percy Anderson um, alleging that he tried to cover up jail beatings and inmate abuse while he was in charge of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and, in fact, tried to block a federal investigation into jailhouse beatings and abuse of inmates. And uh, so apparently uh, Los Angeles County is not the only county where they've had that kind of problem as witnessed by Santa Clara County now paying $3.6 million to Mr. Tyree's uh, infant daughter and two sisters to settle the wrongful death lawsuit they had filed.
4: What a nightmare. Um, at least they have some closure and, and an end to that that issue, uh, at least on the civil side. And I'm sure we'll be very interested to see what happens on the criminal side with the police officers being charged with murder. All right, <clears throat> we're going to move on. You're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice, and we have a fantastic guest today, uh, Alex Ferrer, who is a retired police officer, lawyer, judge, and former host of Judge Alex, which was a nationally syndicated TV show. Judge Alex, welcome to the program.
3: It's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me.
4: Ah, It's great. It must have been really fun uh, filming that, that show. I heard it had almost 700 episodes.
3: Oh no, we were well over a thousand. We're, we're probably uh, probably in the neighborhood of eleven 1, hundred, 1, twelve hundred episodes. That's
4: um amazing. Yeah,
3: it was it, wow. was it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed uh, every day at work. In fact, we'd still be on the air, except the company that produced it decided to get out of the business of producing syndication. So that ended that. But uh, it was, how many years that? was that? Nine years syndicated across the country in wow. about ninety six percent of the U S. Um, nice. and, and every day was, uh, was a treat You know, I, uh, I, I was afraid going into it That it, I really wouldn't be able to get, get excited about the cases Because I was used to, as a judge in Miami Trying cases about murderers and serial killers And, you know, really hardcore cases And I thought, how am I going to get worked up about these small claims cases But I, I'll tell right. you what, you know, the, the people Their passion for their case You know, they, they, when they feel they've been wronged uh, it was it was no problem getting up to the case, and they were funny cases and sad cases. It was a big mixture,
4: big mixture. Remember the old show, Judge Wapner, People's Court. Yeah, sure. I was actually on that when I was uh, a lot younger. <laughs> yeah, okay. No really? were, you, were
3: you were you a litigant on that show?
4: Yeah, I was and it was very interesting. You know, they the producers call you up and they say, "Look, how about you drop your case in the in the state system and we'll handle your case and if you win, we pay you. And if and you don't have to worry about collection. And if you lose, we still pay you some, you know, nominal amount for your time." And uh, you know, the only issue is, you know, do you really want to be airing your dirty laundry on TV? And, yeah. you know, some of the, it got me interested in some of these shows, you know, where you see Jerry Springer and stuff like that, and, and some of these judge shows now, people get on and talk about unbelievable stuff in front of the whole world. It's, yeah. it's amazing.
3: Yeah, thank God they do, or I would have been out of a job very quickly.
4: Interesting. What was one I of the interesting uh, ones you, you, you came across while you were there?
3: Well, oh, we came across everything. I mean, you had, you had to run a mill, run of the mill disputes with landlord tenant and uh, construction right. defects and stuff like that. But of course, we would cherry pick the cases to find the ones that were most interesting. You know, we've been. It, yes, my ju- judgments were binding and they were legal. Uh, but. If it wasn't also entertaining, nobody would watch. So, right. you know, we would pick the most outrageous and the uh, cases with relationships because you get the benefit of the backstory. You know, people don't right. usually sue their their relative or their neighbor the first time. So, you know, you get you get the backstory, which makes somebody at home go, you know, my brother in law is just like this
4: idiot or something. Right. <laughs> so, so we you and know, this guy cheated pick- on me and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, and relationships <laughs> are yeah you know, relationship cases are some of the best because the things that people do in relationships. Uh, you know, I I had a girl who, when she she dated this guy for about six months, and when she broke up with him, she handed him a bill for every penny she spent on him during the relationship. I mean, everything. I'm talking about $4.30 for a Subway sandwich, uh, $0.88 for postage stamps, and it it was about $5,000 worth, and and this idiot started paying it until his family told him to grow a spine, and, and he finally, he stopped after he gave her a couple thousand dollars, and and she was the one who sued. She brought him to court to say, "I want the rest of my money." I can imagine. I can imagine if, if every time a relationship broke up or dating it wasn't, even, it was they were just dating. If the guy yeah. handed the girl a tab, can you imagine the uproar? <laughs> that would be. She, thought,
4: she 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 sounds like some lawyers I know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she probably did. She probably did go to law school.
4: So. Right.
3: Uh, so every every day was something, and I, I would I would tape nine to ten shows a day. And, and Judge Alex is out on reruns now; it's airing in, in most of the country in, in reruns. And um, it's I would I would do nine to ten shows a day, which is was, was wow. insane. I mean, it's just that is you know how how much work that is, and I would do three days in a row. And the difference was the way i would do it i did it differently than judy or, or Marilyn on people's court i did it according to the law where the case came from because i always thought it was unfair to the litigant that i would just that i could as an arbitrator which is what we are um mm. a private judge i could just apply whatever principle i wanted i just a general fairness principle you know, you'll never hear mm-hmm. judy say nebraska law is she just goes you're stupid and you know and it works for her right. but you know, yeah. I just felt if I pulled a guy out of Georgia and he would have won in Georgia and loses in front of me, that's not fair. So I would apply law, the law of the state they came from, which, which made it very difficult because when you're taking nine or ten shows a day, you, yeah. know, you have to know a lot of law. Yeah, a lot how of many, research. How many, cases
1: di- how many cases per show did you do?
3: Well, each show was one case. When the first year we started, we were doing two cases per show. And then we decided to get sh- cases that had more substance to them and make it a half-hour case. So
4: each case was mm. a half-hour long. with one case per show. That's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I think, Judge, the People's Court, they did th- 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 like three cases, two or three cases every time.
3: Yeah, um, because they, they have an hour show, so they do three 20-minute segments.
4: So they'll do 20, 20, 20. 20. Uh, yeah. That must, be, must have been very, very interesting. And you probably learned a lot yourself. Oh, I absolutely did. It was it was almost
3: impossible to retain any of it because, you know, one day I'd be trying a dog bite case out of Texas, and the next you know, the next case after it would be a New York uh, landlord tenant, and the one after that would be an engagement ring case out of Nebraska. And so, uh, you know, so your, what your what head was own, the most memorable case motion. that
2: you had? What was the mo- yeah. most memorable case that you had, Judge? You know, I think I think.
3: To me, the, one of the most memorable cases was a girl who sued her dad, and it was a it was a tearjerker of a case. When I bro when I got off the bench, even the cameramen were crying. It was just a it was a, it was a an emotional case, but it was a it was a happy emotion at the end. It was just a the whole was case was a sad. This girl who never knew her father, and uh, this guy uh, knew he was her father, but he left uh, when she was born because her mother said i don't know if it's you or this other guy and the other guy was well off and he wasn't and he was sure he was a father but he said i'm not gonna be able to give her a good life and uh turns out the other guy was a jerk and he left and uh so the mother was raising the daughter alone and many many years later um they find each other and he comes to her and, and says i'm your i'm your father and and she had gone through her whole life without a dad and and all of a sudden, she is thrilled that she found her dad. And the guy is by no means well off. And he's, he is spending every penny he has. He drives like an a, a 18-year-old Oldsmobile. And he's spending every, money he, every penny he has to take her to New York and to like spend time with her and stuff. And then he gets in a car accident, loses his job because he breaks his legs, and realizes he's not going to have the money to do anything for her. And he just drops off the radar again. Mm. and so she is just heartbroken i mean just destroyed she so she out of anger ends up suing him for promises he made when he came back and and the case wasn't really about her getting anything she just was hurt about her dad yeah and uh and he and they and at this point they don't really know that he's her dad you know there's no proof um mm. and so in in the case you know all of the emotion comes up and you realize why he didn't come back and that it wasn't that he wanted to abandon her he just felt you know he felt he was letting her down again because he didn't have the money and uh and then at the end you find out that we do a DNA test and you find out he's really her dad and they're both you know even they're both really excited and thrilled that's and great but
2: you guys should make a movie was, out of that one <laughs> yeah
3: right but it was it was a, a very emotional roller coaster of a case and uh, uh yeah I'll never forget that one
4: Wow. Well we're we're kinda out of time, but uh Judge I really appreciate you joining us for the show and now I'm gonna look for your reruns. I wanna see some of those shows.
3: Yeah, well I'm on Twitter and Facebook. You can find, yeah, I have a list there of carrying it across the country. Um on Facebook it's uh Facebook slash Judge Alex Ferrer and on Twitter it's at Judge Alex Ferrer. And uh, I, if you go scroll through my tweets, I, I put up a list of all the stations across the country that are carrying it
4: and the time slots okay. and stuff. So. And Ferrer is F-E-R-R-E-R, right?
3: That's, yeah, that's right. Very
4: well done. Good. Well, Judge, thanks for being on the show. We're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks to all our listeners, and we'll see you again next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and Reed. Remember to check us out at kuziklaw.com. That's kuziklaw.com. Each week, we analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and all legal current events. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio.